The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. All right, welcome, welcome, welcome. Dreams, dreams, dreams. We're all beginning a new series of conversations called Wide Awake, so you came at a great time. And uh, part of living a life fully alive and fully awake is dreaming. And, uh, you know, of course, you saw the cute video there of the old guy beating the younger guys, running and all, and apparently he was dreaming that dream there. Some dreams, of course, are, are sheer fantasy and daydreams. You know, uh, so there's some folks that, that long to be on American Idol, and, and, and even your friends tell you that even in the shower you don't sing well, because that is the last bastion of hope, right? If you, sing well in the, if you don't sing well in the bathroom, you just don't sing well. You know, and it's time to face reality, because reality is your friend. And, and, and yet, even people without a... a, a connection to God, when they dream and they live out their dreams, they, they, they live better lives. They just do. You know, I, I think sometimes there's this notion that, that only folks who have a certain religion are, are the good people. And the reality is that there's a lot of good people out there, a lot of good people doing good things. They, they care for people who are hurting. They care, for, they care about the economy. They care about people's lack of education, lack of ability to get resources. They protect those who are being bullied. And, 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 and because they live out those dreams, they're just better people. You have to have a dream to become the person you want to be. You know, um, it's funny. Without a dream, you're not going to move forward. You're not going to try. You're not going to stretch. And some of my you know, moments of having these epiphanies of realizing that you are who you envision yourself to be happen in the bathroom or trying to go to the bathroom. I, I, I uh, <laughs> keeping it real. I'm just telling you. <laughs> this is not being recorded, is it? All right, good. Uh, I, uh, when I was 17, gosh, has it been four years already? When I was, uh, You know, what I love about new people, they've never heard that joke before. So they think, that guy's funny. And they're like, oh, here he goes again. <laughs> when I was 17, uh, I worked on a loading dock, and um, they, they would tell us how to lift. You know, you bend your knees, and you lift with your thighs. And I, and, but I had four arms. God gave me one, you know, two to use and two to walk on. So I didn't have much of a thigh. And, and so I thought, well, that makes no sense. And so I would lift incorrectly. And, you know, you're, you're young, and you're immortal, and you don't feel it yet. You know, you, 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 it's not coming. The pain's coming. You just don't feel it yet. And so I recall one time, I'm standing straight up, bent right at my waist, grabbed the television, and lifted with my back only. Yes. <laughs> I think we know where the story's going. And the minute I stood up, I felt like somebody had poured warm fluid on my back. And I turned around, I put the TV down, what the heck is that? And there was no moisture on my hand. What I know now from what the doctors told me is that's when I ruptured both those discs. And uh, so later that evening, it was unbelievably shearing height. I can't even talk now. I've lost speech. Um, it was like somebody heated up an ice pick and then jammed it in my back and then wiggled it a little bit, you know, and every, everything. You know, I, I didn't want to breathe. I didn't want to cry. I didn't want to laugh. And it was, it was, I was so conflicted. And um, so it, I have it on and off. It comes back and forth. In fact, it happened on Thursday on, uh, uh, yeah, happened on Thursday as a reminder that I'm getting older. One time it happened when I was in my 30s and... Uh, it was pathetic. I was scheduled to speak. I was in the shower. I think I reached for the shampoo or something and snap. And I, I yelled for my wife. I mean, because it was stunning. You know, I lost color for a moment, you know. And my wife came in and I'm standing there dripping, you know, 
naturally. And, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> I said, you have to dry me. And she said, oh, honey, please. No, this is not a crude attempt at intimacy. I really, you have to... <laughs> I, I am not able to move, and I have to speak in a few moments. And so, luckily, or maybe not so luckily, uh, jams were still passable. You know, MC Hammer, too legit, too, you know, all that kind of thing. And, and so, I, I think she grabbed my son's pair, so they fit like short, tight shorts, and it was really in a t-shirt. No, it was, it was, I put on this thing, and, and I literally, she had to drop me in the car sideways, and it was... You know, the thought of canceling never occurred to me. You know, and the, traveling in the car a long ways in the back seat made sense. And they took me, they literally pulled me out and then stood me up. Hey, how are you? Good morning. And, and, uh, and uh, there is going to be a point to the story, by the way. Um, so I came home and, and I was starving and all I could do was just lay on my back in the den and just look at the ceiling. And like, oh, if there is a God, you know, please help me. And my wife, are, are you hungry? And, you know, and the, my point of view is her face looking down at me, you know, upside down. Yes, I'm, I'm really hungry, you know. So she ran over to Douglas Burgers and on Telegraph, the best burgers in town, and brought back a hamburger that I love and a jug o' coke, which I enjoy. See, my back was hurting, but my kidneys were fully functional. And what happened was that after I got to the last sip, I just realized, oh, I've got to go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so I had an option. I could soil myself. Or I can experience that blinding white hot pain of going to the bathroom. And see, my vision was, I'm going to the bathroom. And so I call for my wife again. Honey, please, you know, and she's trying to pick me up. And I, it, it got to be so, I was sweating on the top of my palms of my hand. Tops of my hands were sweating. This is so much perspiration. It was just incredibly, and so finally, <laughs> I might have snapped at her. I don't know. She, I think she's just sensitive, but she left the room. And so, so there I am like a turtle uh, on my back. <laughs> I still got to go. I looked at the cup of the coat. I go, no, no, I can't do that. That's horrible. And then, uh, so I, I just, I put that picture in my head. I am getting to the bathroom. And those of you who know my house, the, 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 you know, the den's one step down and, I'm crawling and, you know, I'm getting there and, you know, opening the door. <laughs> trying to get, oh, the porcelain God is so close. And then, you know, I would just say at this point, I think the kindest thing to say is I made it. Last December, uh, I had surgery for double hernia, which is a proof that you don't have to be even remotely athletic to, to, tear, to tear your body apart. <laughs> and, and so, uh, you know, which explained other parts that were uncomfortable, and, and so I, I wake up from the surgery, and I, once again, my kidneys were fully functional, and, uh, I, but I had just been carved in half and patched and sewn up again, and, and also, <laughs> the doctor told me that when they were going to operate on me, that they were going to pump me with gas, so that between my chest cavity and my, my stomach, there'd be space for them to work, you know, like, oh, well, as long as you're comfortable, you know, and so I woke up pregnant on top of everything else, like, what else happened when I was under, you know, and so I told the nurse and my wife, she was, I was recovering and I need to go to the bathroom. And they said, oh, we'll help you up, you know. And so they started, I go, no, I think I'm fine. So I do the sideways thing again. I get up and I have this Buddha thing going on in front of me and put on my black sweats and black t-shirt because, you know, you want to still be fashionable even though you're in the hospital. And, I, I, you know, and get to, I'll, I'll take you over there. No, no, no. This is one of those things I wish to do alone. And, and thank you for the offer, um, but I barely know you. And, uh, 
And so I, you know, baby steps, like, what about Bob? Down the hallway, <laughs> bathroom, bathroom, I'm going to the bathroom, you know, and close the door, and once again, I made it. How many of you wonder what that's got to do with dreams? Here it is. I could not envision myself on the floor releasing my bowels, let's say. Or I could not envision myself going to the restroom with a stranger and having a female stranger being involved in that process. And so I knew that I was going to get there, even if it hurt, and I drove myself there through that pain, that moment, because that was the picture I had in my head of that I was going to get to. See, here's what's funny about us. Your dreams define you. The images you have in your head, that's what you move towards. And if they're good images to you, you move towards them pretty fast. If they're ugly images about you, you're kind of repelled by them a little bit. But either way, your dreams and the images you have in your mind of who you are and what you should be doing, they will define who you are. That's how it, in fact, what's odd about this is that as much as we think we're not influenced by people and outside forces, they have actually shaped our mental images of ourselves and our dreams. And this is why it's almost absolutely essential if God becomes our primary teacher, if God becomes our life coach, if God becomes the informer of our dreams, that we move to a place of health and light and goodness. But until he informs those dreams, we're left to dream on our own. And some of us, if you, in fact, I'm willing to bet that some of, some of your worst moments, you guys have done some horrible things in your imagination. And then some of them lived them out because you imagined them long enough, you became that person. But the reality is, is that a lot of us who have imagined something better and hoped that we could be something better found that we weren't able to move towards them. You know, you know what's funny? Even when we imagine something good and we ask God, oh, help me with this dream, help me with this, this goal, this project that I have, and you hear in a sense a response from God, the answer is no. Or you feel like you're not getting any kind of help or assistance. That there seems to be no change in your character or the core of your being to become that image, that dream that you want. I'll tell you, here's why. It's real simple. God does not invest in dreams that are fueled by arrogance and fueled by self-centeredness and fueled by some sort of need to be magnificent. He invests in the dreams that match his for humanity. So... This first talk this morning is about dreams, and so part of it is that we're going to ask four questions in looking through the scriptures, and so let's go to Matt, uh, Mark chapter 10 and look at the first question. Mark 10, verse 35. Let me set up the context of this story. Jesus has is, is been invested in these guys for about two years plus at this point, and in the previous moment of conversation before these two students of his ask him this question, He's just told them that my destiny very shortly will be that I'm going to be executed and murdered. And the Son of Man is going to be treated in such a horribly poor fashion. And he begins to pour out his life to his students and, and, and give them a picture of who he is and where, where it's going and, and what he's about to suffer. And this is their response. Then James and John, the, the sons of Zebedee, said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. 
Verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. So Jesus said, well, you don't know what you're asking. Are you going to be able to drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Oh, yeah, we can. Mm, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with, but to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. Which is a nice way of saying, <laughs> no. <laughs> what do you want God to do for you? What do you want God actually to do for you? I said before that one of the things that, that make it tough for us as followers, if, we, if, we, if we're students of the scripture, uh, you know, Solomon sort of ruined it for us at some level because, see, when God asked them, hey, anything you want, I'll do it for you, he says, give me wisdom. And then God said, well, you didn't ask for money and riches and fame, so I'm going to give you wisdom and money and riches and fame. So, which means that we think <laughs> that if we ask God for something noble, he'll give us really the things we, our heart really desires. The greedy, self-serving, you know, I'll be thinner, my skin will be clearer, you know, uh, I'll get an open account at Fred Siegel, and, and I'll just be able to do all these wonderful things, and I'll be wise about it too. But if God asked you, if you could ask God a question, and he says, well, what, what do you want me to do for you? What would you ask? What, what dream, what, what act of beauty, what goodness would you want to see accomplished by him through your life? And now that you know that God doesn't invest in dreams that are fueled by arrogance or self-centeredness or a vision of just you and your greatness, doesn't it seem like, wow, well, it's kind of narrow now. I don't know if I have anything I want to do, him to do. You know, Everything else seems kind of like a dud now. See, most of us, I think, don't live a life of dreams because the dreams we have are way too small and they're too focused on us. I think a lot of the mistakes that we possibly make is that the dreams that we have really involve us, me. How can I look better, become better, become wealthier, become great? I was at a conference once and, and, and Irwin had a chance to speak and share. This young, this young guy came up to Erwin and said, Erwin, how can I end up being like you? Because I want people to listen to me, and I want to speak at conferences. I thought, I was shocked. I mean, I was I like the cartoon where the mouth drops to the floor, and your eyes pop out like with the, with the trombone sound. Uh, I mean, it's one thing to think it, but to actually say it out loud and ask somebody, how can I be great like you so people will listen to me? I, oh, my gosh. You know, and, and, and very kindly, Erwin said, you know, God may grant you this, but he's going to take you the long way around. And uh, there were some other comments that were made that I think for the, his decency, I'll let it go, that it was painful to hear him in some respects. I had a young guy here once, he was half joking, said, hey, Tavo, how can I get my girlfriend to listen to me? Why don't you tell her? I said, oh, this is going to be easy. Just be a person worth listening to. I go, dang it, you know. <laughs> it, there's no shortcut to being somebody that has something to say other than being a person worth listening to. And so... In the end, it goes back to when you ask God what he, is it he wants to do for you, do you understand that he wants to do much more than we even really think? It, it's stunning how small, how narrow, and how sometimes self-serving our dreams are. In fact, let me make this another way. A young woman was speaking to me a couple weeks ago about you know, wanting to get married and how do I find the right person? How do I let people know that I'm available? And like, Well, the sandwich board's not working. Um, need to take that down. And, and so 
because she's a believer, she, oh, I should be praying for my husband or a guy. I want to pray for a wife. And they always forget the parentheses, hot wife. They always want to, you know, they want to put that in there as well. Here, here's, here's the secret. Be the right person. And on your journey, the right person will come along. Because most of us in some stages of our life when we're looking for that person, we're not well. And we don't attract the right people. And as on your way of your journey to becoming a whole person who's passionate about Christ and passionate about his mission, you start moving in that direction. Here's what's funny. You'll find the others who are moving in that direction as well. And you will find, quote, the right person because you become the right person. So what do you want God to do? Because he's actually willing and wants to invest in your dreams. Second question, what can you see? Let's go to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis 37, what can you see? Joseph was an interesting character. Maybe you saw the play. And um, here was a guy that, how many of you have a family where the mom and dad had a favorite? Wow, you guys are, really? Nobody had a favorite in their family? You did? Were you, were you your only child? <laughs> Okay, well, I'll just speak theoretically. I, I know families that it's obvious that they have a favorite, right? And it's horrible because sometimes that spills over in horribly dysfunctional ways. Well, Joseph was Jacob's favorite. I mean, it was obvious. The other brothers, his half-brothers, were sons of, of concubines. And, and, but this son, this Joseph, was a son of Jacob in his old age from his favorite wife, and he loved him, and he doted on him. And, and, and then Joseph was a bit of a snitch who told on his older brothers. Don't you hate that kid, right? So I think sometimes he had it coming. But the point, and there is one, is that on top of that, Jacob made his youngest son this gorgeous coat of many colors. And to, to, to feel that, you understand that the cost of the material and the look of the fabric, you know, everybody wearing tan beige and dark green and, you know, olive was considered, you know, racy. To have a coat of many colors is to really stand out in the desert, correct? And he put him in charge of his brother's work, like, kind of like a supervisor, sort of like the, the, the shop snitch. And so Joseph, being a young kid and not knowing when to keep his mouth shut, verse 2 of chapter 37 and this is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks of his brothers, the son of Bilhah, son of Zilpah, and his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he had made him a richly ornamented robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, couldn't speak a kind word to him. And Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And this is what he said to them. Hey, listen, I had a dream. What do you think this means? We were binding sheep. I don't think he talked like that, but <laughs> just picture this little snotty kid, right? These older men working, you know, whiskers, beards, Amish, but in the Israel. We were, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Ha! Get that! And his brother said to him, 
what, do you tend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and said, hey, I got another dream. (laughs) And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he had told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, "What, what is this dream you've had? Will your mother and I actually come and bow down to the ground before you? The dreams that God gives fit the person with a God-shaped heart. The dreams that God gives fit the person with a God-shaped heart. Here's what's, here's what's interesting to me about this moment. That Joseph is not even remotely connected, probably in the way that he's going to be at the, near the end of his life, by the time he's in his 40s. And God is already given him a picture, not clear, but an image of his destiny. See, here's what I'm going to suggest to some of you. That right now, while you're still young, some of you have already lost the ability to dream. Some of you are convinced that your destiny, your future, the person you're going to be is the person you were. That you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're not. Some of you think that you're per- the person you're going to be and that your future is the person you are. You're not. Some of you have actually forgotten the dreams that God has whispered to you and shown you. In fact, I'm willing to bet that some of you have had a moment where you saw something. You weren't quite sure what it was. You get an inkling, an impression, and you're even embarrassed to think it's possible that God has greatness in store for you. Some of you made the mistake of sharing it with somebody else. (laughs) And that person dumped all over your dream and you thought, you're right. What was I, who was I kidding? Now here's the funny part. Is it that sometimes our lack of ability to wrap our minds around our dreams is not God's inability to accomplish them. See, when, when Joseph opened his mouth that first time, should have learned from that, but you know, he was 17, so that answers a lot of questions. And yet... The reality is is that when he released that intimate word spoken into his soul in a dream, all it caused was such hatred from his family that they couldn't do anything. They couldn't even speak kindly to him. And the end result was that they actually kidnapped him, sold him into slavery, and he was left in prison for a long time. And I got to believe somewhere in that moment of darkness in prison and and, and limitations and, and being held... And by the way, there was a false accusation of rape and you know, on and on it went that he had to think, uh, whatever crazy dream I had, it might have been from being out in the sun too long and it's forgotten. See, some of you maybe have been in that place as well where you know, you've had a setback, something has gone wrong. It could have been financial, it could have been a job, it could have been a relationship, it could have been who knows what. But, and, and somehow that, that image, that dream, that's something you've had in your head is being crushed and it's gone. You can't even, it's hard for you to even imagine you might have heard something or seen something. And in a moment, what's, what's, what's also surprising is that it seems that in that moment where it could have brought out the worst in Joseph, that he kept connecting to God in such a way that his character was being changed to be ready for God to fulfill that dream in his life. And it was. And so that the years and the darkness and the lost, what would appear to him as lost time, did not stop God from fulfilling that dream in his life. 
See, God gives a dream to people and he'll accomplish it. But sometimes the person has to be shaped and prepared for it as well. I mean, aren't you glad that God didn't answer all your prayers with yes? Right? I, I went to my high school reunion a couple years back. My 30th high school reunion. <laughs> and I saw women there that I thought, oh my God. <laughs> Thank God he didn't answer that prayer. Because, you know, I was thinking, oh, help her love me. Good Lord. Help her not see me. That's cruel, isn't it? That was just terrible. I'm just telling you, my wife, hands down, was the best-looking person there. If she didn't go to my school, she went to Roosevelt, the Rough Riders. <laughs> Let me say this also about this moment, about Joseph and his dreams. In fact, actually, it's really about us. No matter how damaged you see yourself, you have to understand that God sees such extraordinary potential in your life. And whatever you think has disqualified you from that dream you once heard is God's ability to move beyond it. See, I have to tell you that sitting in the hospital after self-injuries, sitting in the, let's see here, Hollenbeck Station, County Jail, Ventura County Jail, and Parker Center, sitting in all four of those jails as a guest, I didn't really think I was going to fulfill his dreams in my life. You know, that wasn't what I was envisioning when I was given the blanket to hunker down for the night, trying to find some other Mexicans so that I would be safe. <laughs> Don't worry, bro. They serve us TV dinners in the need. Bro, it's okay, man. <laughs> I don't want to be here. <laughs> I didn't cry much. <laughs> Single tear. No matter how damaged, how ruined, how goofed up, how many mistakes you think you've made, you are far beyond God's ability to redeem. No matter how dark stuff might have been in your life, that doesn't stop God from fulfilling his dreams in you. And what's lovely about this whole moment is recognizing that when God says, I delight in showing mercy, that our worst brings out his best. And it's almost as if he takes <laughs> this funny pleasure out of fooling everybody's doubts and making you great. Our capacity is not diminished by our mistakes. But the dreams that we do get from God require us at times to be ready to handle them. And often God allows the consequences of our decisions to be part of the shaping process. So what do you want God to do for you? And what can you actually see? Let me ask another question. Question three, what must you embrace to live out your dreams? What must you embrace? So go to Acts chapter 10 for just a moment. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. Peter was a, if you, saw the, if you saw the passion, you know who Peter is. Peter's that guy, that small business owner, took care of his mother-in-law. Tradition has it that his daughter, a young girl named Panthera, was crippled. And to be crippled at that time, have the sense that somehow God was mad at you, was not pleased with you. And being female added to that, of course. But there's a tradition, and it's lovely, and it seems to make sense to me, that when God says, you must become like a little child to enter the kingdom of heaven, that it was Peter's daughter that he held on to. 
I think of Peter and all the different moments he had with Christ, the, the, the moments when he was the guy that said, man, I will die for you. Do you understand how much I love you? And, and then having that moment when he said, I don't know who you are. And it's, it's Luke that tells us that when, when Jesus was being beat up and knocked around, that their, moment, that their eyes locked for a second. See, the thing that's remarkable about that story is not only is it that poignant, but who else would know that but Peter? And for Peter to share that, like, dude, you know, I'm telling you, I've blown it. Here's how bad I blew it. And he shares that story with people, and it's forever, you know, in the record. Peter's the guy that we make fun of for walking on water because he sunk, but he walked on water. I mean, even if it was two steps, I haven't done one. Peter's that guy that loved his people so much. In fact, it was a twisted form of love because he couldn't imagine anybody else but his people loving God. And he couldn't imagine anybody else but his people that God would love. And so one day, as he's praying, he slips into a vision and into a dream. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on the journey and they were approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Now let me tell you about who's on the journey. There was an Italian man named Cornelius. And in this book, he's described as a God-fearer who cared about the poor and did acts of generosity. See, here's what's remarkable. That this, this was a guy that in Peter's estimation could not be loved by God and could not love God. And Cornelius was desperately hoping to connect to the God that the Jews knew. And God was speaking to Cornelius. Oh my gosh, dude, you have no idea how great this is going to be. I'm going to get a guy named Peter for you. He's going to straighten everything out. He's going to share with you what he knows. This is going to be wonderful. The problem is, Peter wasn't up to going because he's Italian. And so God has to speak to Peter now. So he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. And, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners, which is known as a picnic, right? And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. He goes, surely not, Lord. No way, God. And Peter replied, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. I'm a good Jew. I would never do this. And I'm sure Peter's thinking, this is a test, Right? And then Peter said, well, that's impossible. Of course I won't do that. Then the voice came to him a second time. He says, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times. Three times. Peter, eat. No. Don't call it impure. Peter, eat. No. Peter, don't call something unclean that I call clean. Out of the trance. So Peter's trying to figure it out. Verse 17, so while Peter was wondering what the meaning was of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit says to him, Simon, there are three men out there looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them for you. I wonder, I wonder if maybe the dreams that we are supposed to live out are limited by the fact of people that we're willing to embrace. 
or a whole community of people that we're refusing to embrace. See, I, I don't know who it is that makes you wonder. In fact, let, let me put it this way. Let me speak to those of us who, who call ourselves Christians. I don't know where in the world we got the notion that God's about us and only us. I don't know where we got this mixed message that somehow God is so concerned about our little world, the Republican Party, and America. Because God loves the Arab. God loves the terrorists. God loves the gay man. God loves the lesbian. And God loves the drunk. And God loves the sexual addict. And God loves the broken person. God loves a single mom with four kids from different fathers. God loves them all. And the problem is, is that we've assumed that somehow their darkness is unreachable. Or their brokenness or their dysfunction is somehow so beyond what God can do. And if you wish to live out God's dream, who must you embrace that God is watching to embrace through you? You see, if we do not live out the love that God has for folks, who is supposed to do it? Who must we be embracing to live out the dream that God's given into our hearts? You know what's funny is that um, I think it was six, seven years ago, my wife and I were up here in this building, actually, I'm going to tell you that before you guys were here, I've already dreamed of you guys. Um, we had a chance to talk to Mark, who owns the building, and he took us on a tour of this place. And, and in my mind, I was imagining people from different walks, Hispanic, Asian, white, black, everybody, anybody. didn't matter their life or lifestyle, but a place where all of us got together trying to figure out how to practice Jesus in our time and follow his principles and encourage one another if we goofed up. A place where people didn't have to be ashamed and they were safe. Because let's face it, some of us have been in religious communities where it's not safe to be yourself. Right? And, and, and I'm convinced that there's many people here, and I'm going to speak on their behalf, that we promise that if you goof up and you fall or you hurt somewhere, we will walk and be with you through that darkness until you're healthy. And it, it's just not, it, that's what we ought to be doing. And what I love about this moment is I was processing it this week as I realized, oh, I, for, I had forgotten about that image in my head. And here we are. In fact, two years ago, David and I were in this building before that, looking at it, dreaming, thinking, what could, what could happen here? And here we are. Now, here's the best part to me. We started in this building with 30 people last December, the first Sunday of December. And here we are with this group, right? This December, the first Sunday of December, we have this room for the entire month. And I think how good is God that allows someone who, like myself, who has made a number of mistakes, to maybe be a voice of hope and encouragement to others who are processing the same thing. I think about the the different functions that could happen here, the small groups, the concerts, the art installations, the creativity, all of it helping people and pointing people towards Christ. Now, I'll, I'll be frank with you. I have a, an overt agenda. I want everybody to experience God through Jesus Christ. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I'm convinced you will fall in love with him if you meet him. 
So everything we do here, from the music to the settings to the coffee, is meant to help create an environment where you can meet God through Jesus Christ. But even if you say, I don't want that, listen, you're still my friend. You know, we're going to go to the movies together. We're going to have coffee together. We might go to taco surf together. We might do a number of things together. Because I'm willing to be people's friend even if you fundamentally disagree with me at every level. So I'm asking those of you who call yourselves Christians, who must you embrace to live out the dream that God wants you to live? There's still another question, though. Who must you face? What, what fears must you face? Go to Ezekiel chapter 37 for just a moment. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. This would be a great movie. Ezekiel is put in this moment. It's a valley of dry bones. So however you picture that in your head, if you see that as a panoramic view or up close as, he's, as his feet step, there's just bones and skulls and what seems to be death everywhere. Or maybe you see a solitary figure walking and, you know, in the midst of all that death. However you picture it, hold on and let me read you these verses. The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and he set me in the middle of a valley and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy or speak to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I'm the Lord. Wow. So Peter, I mean Peter, excuse me, Ezekiel says, okay, I'll speak to these bones. So I spoke to the bones as I was commanded, and as I was speaking to them, there was this noise. Oh, see, this is what I love. The special effects have been gorgeous in this thing, right? Okay, so you've got to picture these bones. How many of you saw Hollow Man? Great film, right? Great film about the character of people. Like, what would you do if you were invisible, right? Okay, remember how he starts to fade out in different layers? Okay, play, all three of us, play it backwards in your <laughs> <laughs> the rest of you are like saying, what the hell, Aaron, Aaron? the heck are you talking about? Okay, so we got to go backwards in the layers, right? You know, muscle, tendon, and, and, and it's, it, the reason, what, why is it clacking? Because they're, they're moving back into pieces. I love this movie. I mean, love this movie. I love this part of the scripture. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> uh, okay. So as I was prophesying, there was a noise rattling around. The bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, tendons and flesh appeared on them. Skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Okay, so now, in your head, picture the bodies strewn about. They're all dead. Okay, now you got to get the camera shot, extreme close-up. Either the face, like the mouth area, or the chest area. All right? Here's why. Then he said to me, prophesy to the to the wind or to the breath. Speak, son of man. Speak to the wind. Think of what is being said here. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath. Breathe into these slain that they may live. Now here's the marvelous thing. Is that what we get out of this is that we get an understanding about God that we never would have gotten before. 
and we begin to know that he is the sovereign Lord who breathes life back into those things we thought were dead. Here's, here's what's tragic, but I know it to be true because it happened to me in my own 20s. Some of you think you screwed up so much that you're done. That the best you can hope for is, oh, I'll be a busboy in heaven. You know, I'm down with that. I'm Hispanic. I'm almost there, you know. I, was, <laughs> I said it. I was once one, so. You think God loves me, but kind of like the stepchild. And all I can hope for is not to screw up much more so that God accepts me. No. No. If God is anything, he's the God of mulligans and second chances and do-overs. All those sports metaphors, I have no idea what they mean. Because he is a God who is much more generous, much more kind, and much more forgiving than we ever are. Now, this new series, Wide Awake, Living a Dream Wide Awake, before you can live a life, before you can live out a dream, you have to have that first encounter with God who gives you one. So here's what I'm going to have you consider. Some of you who do not yet call yourself a Christian, I, I get that. That's fine. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're going to journey with us for a while. But the truth is, is that if you speak to this God, he will answer you. And so tell him where you're at. Speak to him that you, what you want, and he will talk to you. And he will answer you. And he will tell you his name. And I'm convinced what your name you're going to hear is Jesus. And when you ask Jesus to give you a dream and give you the life, he will give you the dream that he imagined for you and dreamt for you when he bled out for you, drop by drop. Because when, you, when we chose not to say yes to him, when he chose to say, I don't want this life, I'm not, I want the life for myself that I want, and he says, no, <laughs> I won't let you get away that easily. And if I have to go to hell and back to come get you, I will. And he has. What must you embrace? What fears must you face? What would you want God to do for your life? And what do you see? And let's all pray together for just a moment before we dismiss. Father, Thank you so much for this new series and opportunity to have conversations regarding living wide awake with dreams that you have filled our souls with. Well, I pray that you give us courage to, to step into those moments with you, to begin a sacred romance with you, to be loved by you and to love you. I pray that you increase our concerns for people that you deepen our responsibility for people and help us become people living wide awake with the dreams that you've given to us. Father, I'm praying also for uh, the men and the women in this room, perhaps who are tired or just think, man, this dream talk is just silly. It's, I don't want to believe it. I, I pray that you help them understand if their heart's been broken, if they've been disappointed before, that you're not that God and breathe life into their dead bones, into their souls. And for those of us who claim to be your students and claim to be your followers and maybe we've just gotten off track and 
get so busy trying to do right things that we don't live out what you actually have for us. Help us to see and feel and hear those dreams you have for us, to listen to your voice. We would follow what you say and experience the dream of our lives wide awake. How you love us. Thank you for your kindness. In your son's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.